All right, no more false starts. There we go. Ben Sedley, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> so short bio of who you are and, uh, and what you do. So I am Ben. I'm a clinical psychologist. I am... Start from me. I'm from Wellington and I um, currently work in private practice with adults and teenagers as clinical psychologists, um, working with a lot of anxiety, depression, life changes, trauma histories. Um, and then I also do a lot of teaching about acceptance commitment therapy. And I, as we'll hear about today, I've kind of written a new book, which yes. is pretty exciting too. I've got two books from you. For the people who are watching at home on the channel, we got one there, which is Stuff That's Loud. And your newest book, which is Stuff That Sucks. Other way around. Other way around. Other way around. Oh, no. Well, I read them both. <laughs> Whoops. But... um, The sequel first. Yes. Got yeah, yeah. out. Now, um, specifically, the the I, I was very fascinated in both of them, but I was very interested in Stuff That Sucks. Thank just you. because I feel like that was talking more just about um, everyday teenagers and young people who are growing up in today's world. Is that mm. what you said? That's right. That's yeah. what I started with. And um, I guess in, in I, we can jump, let's jump straight into the, the stuff that's loud then, which is specifically talking about OCD. Yeah. And um, I guess I want to start off first with what do you think the biggest misconceptions people have about OCD actually are? Because I've, I don't have it. And my first recognition or trying to figure out what it actually was, was just somebody who has a, a physical compulsion. Mm. And that's about it. Not really knowing where it comes from what would it uh, how it manifests itself and could you just dive into a bit a bit yeah, further sure. into that? so obsessive compulsive disorder it's um it is as you say just misrepresented and um talked about badly so often ocd isn't liking to wash your hands it isn't liking things in a certain order it is having a really intense thought or image or feeling that something's not right or something bad's going to happen or I'm just a terrible person or any of these things and then doing the compulsion, which might be something like hand washing or putting things in the right order, is to reduce the distress that comes from that thought or that feeling. So if I have a really stereotypical one more common one would be I am really worried about germs but really it's more intense than that it's I am going to get something that's going to I'm going to cause illness to people around me or I'm going to cause devastation or do bad things um, and so I wash my hands till they feel right mm-hmm and it's no longer about washing my hands based on what logic says or I know I should be washing my hands for 20 seconds and walking away. It's I'm going to wash them until they feel right. And that might take a long time and then I might walk away and have to come back and wash them again. So that's quite a common one. But there's all sorts of other types of OCD as well. There's ones that I'm a bad person if I have these thoughts. I'm a sinner if I... I'm not sure if you've got a chance to see the show Pure, um, about pure OCD, um, where this woman who just kept having intrusive sexual thoughts so she'll be talking to someone then she'd imagine having sex with them or imagine them naked or something she got so distressed by these thoughts 
that she had to avoid people. She had to do all sorts of things to try and check out really if she was a pervert and try different sexual things to find out if she was a pervert. Um, and so we have the intrusive thoughts. And for some people, they're not a specific thought. They just, it feels wrong and really bad things are going to happen. I can't quite say what they are. This just feels wrong. Mm-hmm. And then the... And then I've got the compulsions, which might be things that other people can see, such as washing hands or putting things in orders or checking things. Or there might be internal things other people can't see, like going over my mind looking for evidence that I did something wrong or counting things or saying things, saying prayers in my head or saying things in my mind to try and take away the distress that comes from the obsessive thought, the intrusive thought. Right. And there's a D in that too. We've done the obsessions, we've done the compulsions, and the D is it needs to be a disorder. Mm-hmm. It's getting in the way of you living the life that you want to be living. Right, okay. So I, two things on that. It sounds like, because um, the physical manifestation of, it sounds to me like OCD is a physical manifestation of anxiety. Is, would, is that correct? And that if you have anxiety, OCD is a form of trying to control that fear through a physical uh, expression in some cases. So like I'm, I'm worried about causing devastation to other people. So I try and control that by washing my hands. Is that correct? OCD is a type of anxiety disorder. Yeah. Right. It's, um, so it doesn't spawn from OCD. It is a form of, uh, sorry, it doesn't spawn from anxiety. It is a form of anxiety. It's a form of anxiety. Right. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. See, I thought it was the other way around always. It was like, mm-hmm. you know, a byproduct of uh, high function or just high function anxiety. Oh, no, no. You can have all sorts of different kinds of anxiety. Um, what they've got, I'm, I'm not big on trying to di- categorize people and diagnose people. Mm-hmm. And what I'm, the thing that anxiety disorders all have in common is I don't like this thought, I don't like this feeling. How mm-hmm. do I get away from it? But most other types of anxiety disorder, there's often a lot more logic in the kind of, behavior you're doing to get away from it and often the intrusive thought has a lot more logic too like i'm if i'm anxious about people judging me i've got social anxiety so i don't go to parties or i don't put my hand up in class mm-hmm. you can understand the logic it doesn't work for me and i never get a chance to discover that i actually can do these things but there's some logic to it whereas the ocd ocd doesn't need logic in fact And people even recognize that it's illogical. Often. Not all the time, but often they go, I know it's probably not going to happen. But Mm -hmm. what if it does? Right. Is that the first step in, I guess, trying to remedy it? Is like explaining that it's not logical to go for, like to be thinking that way? Because at the same time, I would think that would kind of, if you told me that, I was like, well, yeah, I know it's illogical, but it's still like a very big part of me. I'd get quite defensive. Yeah, absolutely. You can't out-logic OCD Mm -hmm. because... It's about things that haven't happened yet that probably could happen but aren't very likely. Sure. Or they could happen but the outcomes won't be as bad as you're expecting. Um, OCD is about... How do I... I I can't tolerate uncertainty. I need to know. And all day, every day, we all tolerate levels of uncertainty, right? Mm -hmm. I park my car on the street here. I'm assuming it's going to be okay, but I don't know for sure. Right, and so it's just lower levels of tolerance for... That's lower levels of, I need to know. And to be able to say, well, I just have to assume that my car's okay, and if 
it's not okay. I have to assume that I have the skills and the resources to figure out what to do to fix it. Does that come, is it usually born out of like a traumatic experience somewhere along the line that causes somebody to just not be comfortable with that level of uncertainty? Because I mean, we all have that, right? It's just a bit like, you know, we all have a degree of like aversion to risk, but it sounds that the tolerance is just so much lower. Yeah, sometimes it can be connected to trauma, but often it's just a particularly sticky thought gets in our head. Right. And it's something that, I'm not going to say all people, but most people could get OCD, could get caught, pulled into into a cycle at some time. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had the experience of, this could be just me, but you know, I was walking down, walking past um, on the waterfront, walking over a bridge and going, Crap, I hope I don't throw my phone into the water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I, I've had stuff where, um, which is somewhat unrelated. When I was in South America, I was, I was robbed, and hmm. uh, somebody had like, come up behind me, and uh, it was quite fucking weird. It was very weird, but it was like someone came up behind me and put like a knife to my throat and just freaked me out. And then from that, even like three months after the fact, coming back into New Zealand, the specific noise of like someone's foot mm. hitting the pavement mm. would just everything just yeah i don't know if that's like a form of actually like ptsd that sounds like really mild ptsd mm-hmm. like one that's i assume probably passed with time yeah absolutely um as most ptsd does mm. um not all um but even often we can just get these completely random thoughts and go that's a strange thought mm-hmm. why did i just think about hurting that person or why did i just think about wonder what that person looks like naked or wonder sure. what I, and there's I so many negative connotations about the thought itself and, and then we have the thought and you're like oh that's a terrible thought i shouldn't have that thought and therefore i'm a bad person and i'm a bad poor person or oh if i can think it maybe i could do it i better not you know the, i hope i don't throw my phone into the water one i thought that's a strange thought i'm not going to do that mm. i'm in control of my limbs but it also would have been going and just to make sure i'm going to walk two meters away from the water and i could have started adding in extra things to just to make sure because i know i'm probably not going to do it but maybe i could is it accompanied with like a low self-esteem and 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 low self-confidence because it sounds to me it's like somebody who doesn't trust themselves fully in that particular thing right so you might be completely confident with lots of other things doing really well in life but with this particular thing you just just something about it kind of something like about it right. i'm working really hard to not give specific examples from people i work with no it's totally so fine. it's um i'm trying to think of more generic examples but you know i can do well at work i can do well in these other things but this one worry it just gets in there and it makes it hard for me to do right all these things some people they can't do well at work or they can't do well at school or in relationships because there's no energy left after they're busy dealing with this worry. Sure. Yeah. It's interesting because I was, I was reading a book about this recently and it was saying that some, apparently a lot of high level managers or some high level managers can actually have very high functioning anxiety because there's this desire to control so many aspects of so many things. Um, bit of a segue there. Don't really know where I'm going with that one. <laughs> no, I don't know what high functioning, high, func- high functioning anxiety means. It's not a disorder. That means your brain thinks a lot. Right. You know, we all have things we worry about. We all have, we don't need to pathologize that. Mm -hmm. It's a disorder if it's a disorder. Right, okay. So if it's a disorder, if it gets gets in the way of things. If it gets in the way of you living the life you want to be living, 
Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so it's it's much more pervasive amongst young people from from what I've seen. And I was is that right? Um Yeah. I can't quote New Zealand stats. Um probably should be able to. Mm-hmm. Um but I can't. And there you go. That's um we're chilling. The we're average counting. the average person with OCD takes 14 to 17 years to get help. Right. Like it's so either deeply shameful to admit you have this thought or you feel so alone and can't believe anyone else worries about this or you don't know how to put it into words because it's just how you see the world. Um, that for a lot of people, it takes a really long time. It's why, you know, doing things like this podcast and writing books and having TV shows and um, new segments about it make people help people go, oh, actually that's what I do too oh, I don't need to do that. There's something I can do about it. There's a treatment for that. It's mm-hmm. really cool. Um, yeah, one of the things that we talk about in the book is find a tribe. Find other people, get online, find other people who do it. We've now got some groups in New Zealand. Um, we've got a Facebook group. I say we, it's not me at all. Um, there's a Facebook group <laughs> in New Zealand called Fixate NZ, which is for people with OCD or for family members with OCD kind of support each other and find out what other people are finding helpful and where to get support and all those kind of things. OCD thrives on secrecy and shame and tells you you're the only one and the experience of getting out there and going, finding the right person to talk to and say, hey, here's what I worry about and here's what I do to take away that worry. Mm-hmm. And someone else going, oh, yeah, I do that too. Or, well, I didn't do that one, but this is what I do. We mm. go, oh, this is something that that's OCD. It's not something inter- inherently wrong with me. You know, this is something I can name. It's something I can deal with. Yeah. I, uh, I wanted to talk about these, these two things where it was like, I feel like people are now more aware of themselves and, and uh, just mental health in general than we've ever been before. Do you think accompanied with that though, there's a, um, is there greater awareness of people being able to not self-diagnose versus being, let's say, let's say self-diagnose, right? Is there more people, are there more people aware of self-diagnosing or are these rates of things actually increasing within society? Well, there's the next five hours of discussion. <laughs> it's a huge, <laughs> awesome question. Um, we pathologize a lot more. So we talk about depression, we talk about anxiety, which is a really good thing for some people. Mm-hmm. And for other people, it's hard to know when I'm feeling sad or worried versus I've got disorder. I think that's a very good point that you make because I think so many people will say, oh, uh, and not to disparage anyone's uh, you know, hardship they're going through, <laughs> but I think with a lack of knowledge about what actual depression is, people can easily say, oh, I'm just depressed. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just depressed. And it's like, well, mm, you're actually just going through a tough time right now. I think there's this very uh, quick to label. Quick to label, and we're actively marketing that in a way, and it's needed for some people. So I'm not saying let's do the opposite, Mm -hmm. but if you're a teenager and you're at school and you're worried, do I fit in? Does everyone like me? You're having thoughts about what's the point in life? Should I even stick around? And then you get told that those thoughts are 
pathological rather than part of normal adolescent development. Mm-hmm. Or you get told, whoa, someone has a thought about suicide, quick, you've got to call and get them to the doctor straight away. Sure. Then we're pathologizing all that kind of normal development that goes on. Totally, yeah. And at the same time, got a big teen suicide problem so it's not as simple as saying ah don't worry about it you know the reality is a lot of people have thoughts about suicide and only a very small percentage of them are actively suicidal Mm -hmm. but we need to figure out a way that can make sure we help all those people without pathologizing everyone else is doing the normal kind of thinking about meaning of life that goes on um i think we've lost so much context we use a medical model of mental health um, which kind of puts the blame on the person. You know, you've got this experience rather than you're in a context that's totally letting you feel like this. And it's, um, and we want to be looking around and going, when are the contexts when these feelings aren't there? When are the times that you can be awesome, you do succeed? Mm-hmm. Rather than saying, oh, you've got a disorder. We're in the middle of Wellington right now, and I'm just looking around all these buildings, wondering how many people in Wellington right now are treated like crap in their job or treated like crap in their school and blaming themselves and thinking, everyone else is coping except me. There must be something inherently wrong with me. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's no point trying to change it. There's no point changing a new job because this is who I am. Mm -hmm. And... And unfortunately, it often it gets worse and worse or something. They get to a new job and go, oh, that was just a really bad job for me. And sometimes, you know, I'm not, sometimes you are actually really depressed or you haven't got really good coping methods. But when we try and strip suffering and negative thoughts out of the context then we're not seeing the whole picture and we can't really understand what's going on for people. Totally. Do you, what do you think, I don't know if you can give like actual figures on this, but what do you think, do you think more often than not it is context that is causing somebody to feel like this? Or is there in, or do you say it's like a 50-50 chance of somebody having like a, a dopamine uh, deficit or something like that? Or, uh, yeah, is, is, it, is it more often than not context? And I think the world that we currently live in probably supports that more than anything. It's 100% context, but a much broader definition of context than what we're talking about. You know, your context might be, in other environments I was treated like this, so in this environment I haven't learned the skills to do something about it. I haven't been given, I've never had the experience of it being okay to speak up. Mm -hmm. So even though I'm in a context where everyone's really supportive and I could speak up, I don't know that. Yes, things are going on in your brain. We're not as confident about them. We don't understand them as well as some people try and make out. But that's not necessarily causal. Mm-hmm. You know, in bodies changing all the time in the environments. Um, but even if it is, if we are taught in our context that I'm supposed to be awesome all the time. Sure. Which is what we're taught on... Social media. Social media even makes it so much harder. Um, lack of social rhythms. There's no times where we get to be on and get to be off. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was a kid, there was times when I was at school and I was talking to my friends and times when it was too late to phone anyone and we all knew that everyone else, no one else was talking to each other. Mm-hmm. Now, whether I'm online or not, 
discussions are happening and I have that pressure to be on and be awesome all the time. Um, I think that was one of the great things about lockdown is the fact there was no like fear of missing out. You knew everybody was in the same situation and there wasn't, for me at least, I wasn't feeling like I was missing out on yeah. certain things. Everyone's like, oh, everyone's locked up in their house. Yeah. You know, I know everybody's in a very similar position to me instead of, uh, whereas nowadays you see, I don't get it so much now, but definitely when I was younger, 18, 17, 16, you're seeing people uh, just at a party, you know? And like, well, what am I doing right now? Mm. I'm looking at these people mm. who just went to a party on Saturday night. You yeah. Know? And so I guess that if we've got those feelings and we might have be feeling worse that day, mm -hmm. but we've been taught that we're not supposed to feel worse some days. Mm -hmm. So our context has taught us that we're not supposed to have bad days and good days. So many people I know, they can recognize that some days they feel like, yeah, I've got tons of energy. And other days, just walking around the block feels hard. Standing up feels hard. Some days I have days when my brain feels razor sharp and other days kind of remembering how to spell my, spell my name feels a bit tricky. Mm -hmm. But a lot of us get the message that we shouldn't have that kind of level of variation in our mood as well. You know, some days we do just have days when we feel sad and maybe there's a specific thing in my context I can point to. Maybe I'm just having a, not a very good day. Mm. But our context has shaped us, our broader context has shaped us to think, I'm not supposed to have those days. And because I'm not supposed to have those days, I might then do things that end up making me feel worse. Mm -hmm. So I'm not supposed to feel sad, so I won't call people, let anyone know I'm feeling sad, I'll stay home, I will do things that make me feel much better short term. Video games, weed, booze, avoiding people, cutting myself, whatever it is, these give me that really brief feeling of feeling better. But the purpose of doing them is try and keep away from that feeling I've been telling myself and my context is telling me I'm not supposed to have. And yeah. so very soon, for me, and this is what I mean about context, it may not be a specific place and specific people, it's this broad context of everything we've learned up till now and everything we're in in the world is that Depression is all the things I'm doing to try and not feel sad that don't work. Yeah, 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 definitely. You're almost like actively running. You're trying to be, you're becoming less in touch with yourself. When that I'm happens. actively trying to avoid the thoughts and feelings that are causing me distress. Yeah. And anxiety, you could say similarly, is all the things we do to try and keep me away from worry that don't work. Mm. Can I, you mentioned cutting. Where does that come in I, I can you explain why someone in just very basic terms both for myself and people are listening why would someone cut themselves if they're feeling anxiety or depression yeah so cutting has lots of positive short-term things right bad term long term it's a terrible thing to do please don't cut yourself but short term um for some people it gives them that feeling of, I feel like crap. Now I can see some pain. It makes sense. I can kind of understand why I feel like crap now. Right. There's kind of physical manifestation. Some people it goes, well, I'm a bad person. This gives me a brief moment of punishing myself. Other people it gives a brief um, 
oh, I've forgotten all my medical things now. I'm trying to think. Well, it, it, your yeah, body, sure. your body, the healing comes in. Uh-huh. Okay, I'm in pain. The body starts healing. I feel better. Some people, the physical pain takes away, it distracts me, gives me a brief respite, right. brief moment away from the phys- the psychological pain I'm in. Mm-hmm. Some people, it's a really good way of letting other people know how distressed I'm feeling. Rather than speaking about it, it's just showing it physically? Showing it physically, letting people understand the intensity of what I'm feeling, right? Right. Um, for other people, it's, I feel like crap. Um, I know that other people try this, I wonder if it's going to help me. Uh-huh. Some people, they will tell you that they do it to avoid suicide. Like, you know, if I just do... That was going to be my next question. If I do the small self-harm, that helps me not have to do something much bigger. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's actually the case. I think after doing lots of small things, it starts getting bigger. Um, Does it typically lead into suicide? Because it sounds like they're two separate things. Suicide sounds like ending it all, whereas cutting sounds like distracting. There's lots and lots of different schools of thought on this, um, and and there should be, because we're talking about human beings who do things for different sure. reasons. Um, some people, cutting is, or punching or burning is... Um, I haven't heard of burning. People burn them? Yeah, burn, burn yeah. themselves. Yeah, right. all these, um, lots of different ways that people hurt themselves. And for some people, it is... It's a way that can distract themselves. Uh-huh. Um, it's just people trying to keep away from thoughts and feelings that they can't have. Right. Um, but that may not be the reason they tell you they're doing it. Right. Okay. My my view is that because of our context, because of our environments, and because of our biology, we want to get away from things that are painful. Mm-hmm. That's how we program. That's how we learn. Right. Um, You know, if we think about two cave people and they look up in the distance and they go, hey, what's that thing over there? Mm-hmm. And one of them says, oh, that could be a blueberry bush. Yum. Let's go get some food. And one goes, oh, I'm not sure. That could be a bear. Which one of those two are we more likely to be descended from? The bear. We're more likely to be descended from the one that's really yeah. cautious and tries and learns. Avoids, avoids, avoids yeah. things. So avoids things that always thinking what's the worst thing it could be mm-hmm. and wants to keep away from things that hurt us. That's just good design. Mm-hmm. And everybody is doing that, you know, whether we're doing self-harm or alcohol or gambling or chocolate or staying on social media all day or going to the gym. Mm-hmm. So much of our life is how do I get away from these thoughts and these feelings I don't want? It's, it's almost like it's a biological... Uh, it's, I, I like to think of it as like this as well. It's like if we were... In a total, I, biologically speaking, in an ideal position, we could just sit on our sofa, be fed, reproduce, and that's it. But it also it comes with all these unnest, like unforeseen consequences. You know, this sedentary lifestyle doesn't. It, it there's got to be some struggle, I think, mm-hmm. in, in my experience, whether that come in like a physical form, a sense of purpose that's hard to get to. If everything's so easy to achieve, um, there has to be some kind of end goal in that. Absolutely, and I don't. Th- I think. Good biology mm-hmm. is being out there doing things, exploring things, interacting with other humans. Human beings were we were never the fastest, we're never the strongest animal out there. Mm-hmm. 
but we could we had the best problem solving skills and we had the best social skills so we could use those to get out there and solve all problems and beat the mammoth and the saber-toothed tiger and whatever else there was and so to do that we need to be constantly on the lookout for how and what am I going to do that's going to get me kicked out of the tribe how am I going to you know, we develop shame and embarrassment and all those feelings and the ability to try and guess what everyone else is thinking and worry about it because it's good survival to be able to, to not be kicked out of the tribe, right? Mm-hmm. And so we've learnt to, we've biologically designed to be on the lookout for the worst case scenarios, on the lookout for the ways we might stuff it up socially. Mm. Um And we're also given all sorts of messages all the time that we're supposed to feel awesome. Mm. You know, so if we're supposed to feel awesome and our biology is telling us, no, we're not, we're supposed to be looking out for the worst possible things and finding things to worry about, we can feel like there's something wrong with us just when we're doing what our bodies want us to be doing and our brains want us to be doing, right? Have you seen seen The Social Dilemma? I haven't seen it yet, no. Very, very good. And it kind of goes to where I wanted to talk to you about this next. Where... Where do you where do you see all this going? Like, do you see it getting better? Do you see in your profession things are getting worse? Because it really sounds like we're fighting against something where it's just we either a need some form of regulation within within the internet space. You know, I was talking to to, to our friend Amy about this, and she was saying how this feeling of awkwardness has never been more present, or what people describe as awkward in real life situations wasn't really much of a thing until recently and that young kids have the ability now to curate an image online even the fact that i can text i can Mm. think over it for two minutes i can make sure every word's correct then when you get into like a real life position the organic nature of a human interaction goes away because you're trying to predict analyze figure out what the next thing is going to be and it's terrible it's really bad because some of the best conversations that I have are ones where there's no distractions. It's just like a flow state. Mm, mm. Do you see things getting worse? Is that really, I mean, inevitably speaking in a capitalist society, things are going to keep getting like this, but do you think there's a real place for government to come in or some kind of regulatory practice to come in and, and, and try and limit, I guess, young kids exposure to social media to a certain degree. A, I'm not such a big fan of limiting and so much as let's put into place the things that we need. Okay. Um, Which are? Now, getting comfy because this is what I get excited about. Um, We're not going to fix the problems in New Zealand with individual therapy. Mm -hmm. We need it. Um, But how do we get families more support if they know how to talk about emotions with their teenagers and the children and help them name it how do we get schools that where there's room to get it wrong to try things to tolerate losing to experience disappointment um how do we get community groups out there so that if school isn't your thing you still find a place in the world that belongs to you Mm i was reading a great article yesterday about um 
Iceland, which is, you know, we always come back to Scandinavia for all these superhero stories about how things could be done. Um, but it was just a bigger version of stuff that's happening elsewhere is if you get things for teens to do, they don't do all the stuff we don't want them to do. Mm-hmm. You know, banning social media, banning drugs, these aren't going to help it. Let's have activities. Let's have stuff for them to do. Um, let's help people try different things and find stuff they care about. Encourage trying things, not just, mm. you know, rewarding the few people who are super successful at it. Get people to find out things they like, see what it feels like, see what it feels like to know, oh, I suck at that and that's okay because that doesn't take away from who I am. Yeah. I can learn that disappointment. Um, I think there's less room for some of those low-level disappointments that we used to have. I put on my old man pants now and think about when I was a kid and I'm one of six kids and we had one telephone and one TV. So we had to do daily negotiation and, mm. you know, arguing and figuring out who's going to be on the phone. And when you're on the phone, someone else can't be on the phone. And when you're on watching TV, there's just, you know, what else? So there's more room for boredom, more room for negotiation, more room for disappointment. And smartphones are awesome. I'm not saying let's not have them. But how do we have those places for those low-level disappointments and low-level boredom and low-level negotiations and all those things in your life rather than thinking, I can have everything I want every minute of every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I can always get what I want, and if I can't, there's something wrong with the world and there's something wrong with me. Um, and I think there's so much more room, and it's happening. There's some cool stuff happening. I've been talking to people in the Ministry of Education, looking at ways that social skills and emotional skills are as valued being taught at schools as maths and English, you know. Totally, absolutely, yeah. And there's some really cool programs being tried out at schools. There's some awesome evidence-based family programs. There's some great community programs around New Zealand um, that just help find teenagers who don't find their place at school. Mm -hmm. And they get into boxing or rugby league or music or drama or doing social, you know, saving, cleaning beaches, whatever it is, they find their place in the world and go, hey, I know where I belong. I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I know what I care about. And that's the stuff that's going to make a difference. And, you know, social media, it's... Social media is designed by very clever people who are designed to keep you on there all the time and you know of course it's addictive because there's people who are doing all the best research about how long should this ad be how often should we have another ad to mm, what color should we make this what icon? color should we make yeah. all these details so trying to think well just don't use it you're mm-hmm. we're going against a lot but there's no reason why we can't be using the same social media and same other media and school environments and things we've got to help people figure out what they care about, to find places where they feel cared for, sure. reduce. You know, we do need to reduce the dissemination of bad information. We do need to find ways to reduce the opportunities for online bullying. Mm-hmm. But in general, how do we find what works and give more of that to create a more nurturing, compassionate society? I, you were talking before just about um, uh, low-level negotiations and like boredom and stuff like that. 
what place I, I think it's weird I, I, I don't know if this is like factually true but I think that things have become so easy they've become hard you know like the the, the, the lack of uh, you gotta have like some kind of struggle you know I was talking about that before do you think do, first of all is that true do you think things have become so easy that it makes functioning in more difficult situations more difficult yeah yeah and so I think um, and that's why I think we have this idea of like older generations were definitely tougher, you mm-hmm. know, just tougher people could tolerate more stuff. Not that that means that stuff needs to go away, that means stuff should come back or it doesn't need to go away. It definitely does. But I think we have this real people, I don't think people are fully capable of dealing with things as well as they should be able to. Maybe that's probably that sounds like a bad way of saying what I'm trying to say because it kind of diminishes what somebody's going through. But I think um, I think parenting plays a huge part in this mm-hmm. as well, you know. And we go through generations. First of all, there's never been like a bigger difference between generations than there is now between the ones that we have. You know, like my parents trying to explain what it's like growing up as a kid. Like you have no, like, you know, you got no idea what it. Just turn your phone off. It's not that easy, mm-hmm. you know. I was born in '95 which was like the cutoff, like the first year where social people started having social media throughout their whole life, you know, mm. from like high school all the way through. I didn't get it till I was like, so I was like thir- year 13. It's so like 18 years old, basically. So, well, I had it when I was 16, but never really used it, you know? I think, um, it, how, how important is just finding things that are hard to do and working your way into them? You know, like finding, just failing. I mean, how important is failing? Failing is essential. Fail, it's not failing it's trying things it's yeah that that word fail needs to be changed as mm. well you know it's, it is experimenting and, and doing new things and trying to get better at it and better and better, better. Mm. yeah uh, we've got this world that as you say i can do anything now mm-hmm. i can and i got this pressure that i need can i do anything i should know what i want to do and do it perfectly and we need those room to kind of screw up and get it wrong, try things, have hard discussions. We talk about older generations. Probably just go back two or three generations. Teenagers spend most of their time, and it's like this for thousands of years, most of their time talking to adults. Mm-hmm. This generation, teenagers, except for their parents and the teachers, might not talk to another adult for days and days on end, right? So it used to be... That's a very good point, yeah. You know, if you're a young person trying to figure out how to understand the world 100 years ago, you'd be in a workplace watching the old, watching the adults, just sure. learning from them, listening to their discussions, joining in. They'd probably give you crap and say, what the hell are you talking about? But you've got the chance to learn about the world. Whereas now we've got all these teenagers, they're learning from each other. Mm-hmm. And, and teenagers have great ideas and lots of things they can learn from each other. But that's not the way we were de- designed to develop, right? Mm-hmm. It's not how the way other animals develop. They all kind of find the adults and follow them around and learn how to do these things. Yeah, passing down of knowledge. Yeah. Instead of sharing amongst them. Yeah. That's right. So it's, um, we've got this whole world, you know, how do we kind of get these conversations, get the intergenerational things happening, mm-hmm. learn from people, experience a disappointment, experience what it feels like to... If I try something and it doesn't go well, then I've learned a whole lot about myself, eh? Mm-hmm. I've learned that I can tolerate disappointment, 
I've learned that I can reflect on my behavior and see what did I like it? Do I want to put more effort into trying it again? I've learned do I want to um, be okay with saying, hey, this isn't for me. I'm walking away. I'm going to try something else. I'm learning so many things, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe I'm not the best at archery, but I've learned a whole lot of other things about myself while trying archery for the first time. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas if we're like, well, no, you know, sign up for archery if you want to make the team Mm -hmm. or to get XYZ, get XYZ, then it's, I've succeeded or failed based on sure, totally. something yeah, yeah. that's out of my control. It's almost trying to redefine the metrics of like actually succeeding yeah. and failing. Yeah. Mm. Do you think a lot of these things kind of as somebody gets older, you know, mm-hmm. do, do a lot of these things kind of self-right to people? Are you finding in your practice it is things that were typically uh, associated amongst younger people are now these same people who have grown up with these things have not grown out of these things and they're coming to you older so and older? We can't answer that because the young people now Sure. I can't tell you what they're going to be like in 20 years, but they're growing up in a different context. Mm-hmm. As you just said, you know, people in their 30s now came to social media and smartphones and things at an older age than mm-hmm. people who are 16 now. So I can't tell you what people who are 16 are going to be like right, right. in their mid-30s. <coughs> Will they grow out of these things? Man, you look at the world 20 years ago and try and predict anything that's happened this year and... We would have got it completely wrong, right? So sure. I'm not going to do a good job in predicting what's going to be like in 20 years' time. I will say that we have got good evidence that things that encourage compassion and nurturing and helping people find the words for what they're feeling mm. helps them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that face-to-face conversation, that ability to experiment and try things and see how it goes and maybe I discover I'm good at this, maybe I discover this isn't my bag at all and I want to try something else. Trial and error. Yeah. Trial and error, having, talking to teenagers about what they care about and politics and um, all these kind of things. The environment, you know, we're... Just you know, finding a passion. Yeah, finding a purpose almost, you know, and... Uh, 2019 we had this amazing year where the teenagers were taking to the street and saying grown-ups you've got this wrong we mm-hmm. need to fix the planet now and that was super exciting you know mm. and it's not the grown-ups have all the answers and teenagers learn it we were shown really clearly teenagers have a whole lot of answers and we should be finding ways to listen to them as well mm-hmm. and we've got some ideas and teenagers can listen to us and we can have dialogue and we can think about things and we can make changes um these need to be happening and they're not happening on day to day and they're not happening on social media Mm. and there's all sorts of ways that things can be fixed i wanted to one more topic i I wanted to to talk to you about is just um physical exercise in general do you how much of a role does because me personally if i go to the gym if i'm feeling crap go for a run i feel amazing Mm -hmm. right afterwards how much of a role do you find plays in do you term it as recovery or uh, if someone's suffering from anxiety or OCD, do you call it recovery or do you call it um, resolving? I think you can get through and come at the other side of anxiety or OCD. I've met people who 
it's not they never have those worried thoughts again, but when they sure. have those worried thoughts, they can respond to them really differently. So it's about managing it, right? Is that kind of what it is? Recognizing triggers and mitigating them as best possible, as best as possible. Well, it's about it not being a disorder anymore. Right. So you being know, able to live with it. I yeah. can, I can, if you don't have any worried thoughts ever, then you're staying inside your comfort zone sure. and your life's not very fulfilling. Yeah. Fulfilling. So I want people to have a life where they feel worried. If you don't, worry it means you don't care right Mm -hmm. so it's not that we want to stop the worry Mm -hmm. we want to help people notice the behaviors that are keeping them stuck getting in the way of them living the life they want to be living and saying actually you know what this worry is going to come along for the ride it's going to jump in my backpack because here's what matters to me and i want to work towards it yeah you were talking about that i believe in in, in, and stuff that sucks where it was just being present being Mm -hmm. mindful Mm -hmm. uh being being self-aware and just just like, I remember when I was younger, there was that deliberate effort of trying to fight, fight everything, you know, fight it, fight it, just try and reinvent myself to kind of get away from things. Um, do you, do, I mean, do you recommend to people at least the, the benefits of yoga, meditating, uh, and I guess once again, just going for run, physical exercise, does that play a huge part in someone's dealing with these issues? Or uh, is, there, is there a much bigger emphasis on uh, cognitively recognizing certain things physical exercise yoga formal meditation all those things work really well for you depending on why you're doing it back to the context what's right and and my job as a psychologist is to say wtf what's the function of your behavior why are you doing it you know if i'm going to the gym to get rid of the thoughts that i'm fat it's never going to work. Right. Or it might work for brief moments, which is why I keep doing it, but that thought keeps coming back. If I'm going to the gym because being healthy matters to me, then it's going to work every time I go to the gym, right? Mm-hmm. Um, same with mindfulness. If I'm going to the mind, doing formal mindfulness every day so that I never feel sad, it's not going to work. Got to find the purpose behind it. If you know. I do mindfulness every day because I want to connect to where I am right now and whatever's happening with me and some of those feelings are going, yay, this is the feeling I love and someone's like, oh, that feeling's there too, then it might be really effective. Mm-hmm. Any behavior we're doing to get away from something doesn't tell us where we're going to get to, right? Mm. And so, yes, exercise is really helpful. Eating well is really helpful yoga meditation socializing studying hard these things are really helpful if we're doing it to get towards something that matters to us mm-hmm. and i could do exactly the same behavior to try and get away from a thought or get away from a feeling and at the end of it i'm going to be still got more yeah. muscles and the same thoughts and feelings yeah, are still so hanging out with me you know a lot of people do that when they move like move locations yeah. you know you know I, yeah travel i think there's a real Nothing about that. And that's, you know, it's an interrupt, but that's, you know, if there's a threat, an external threat, running away from it's really sensible mm-hmm. for a short term. Totally. Yeah. If someone says, hey, there's someone, what's some extreme, someone holding a swinging a machete down in the street. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to go the other direction. Totally. I'm not yeah. going to say what's in this direction instantly. My first reaction is let's get away from that. Mm-hmm. But a bit further down, I'm going to go, wait a minute. Which direction do I want to be going in? Where are the people I care about? Let's 
we've got to start thinking about what am I moving towards as well as what am I moving away from mm-hmm. and that's you know that's it's fine moving away from things is a really good short term solution but we need to be able to have that what am I moving towards yeah to get any really meaningful direction in our lives yeah yeah it's it's so much as a long term view as well somewhat similar to the self harm especially if <clears throat> the thing I'm running away from isn't the person with a machete it is a mean thought or a feeling Mm -hmm. because i go running and it comes with me yeah 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 totally mr sedley thank you (laughs) for coming on that was that was great i really appreciate it now where can uh people find you anything we want to plug besides the the books stuff that's loud where can we find that so stuff that's loud is available all around the world including in new zealand um, it got delayed getting into New Zealand because of Voldemort, I mean, coronavirus holding yeah, up everything. <laughs> um, it's finally made it, so any bookshop in New Zealand should be able to order it from. Cool. Um, and same with stuff that sucks. Hopefully, any bookshop you should be able to order it from. Um, you can also follow me on. We'll talk about social media. Yeah. Like, as I said, social media, great thing. Use it. Um, <laughs> You're also an Instagram model, influencer. <laughs> Part I, of the problem. I am the problem. I'm yet to actually figure out what Instagram is. Um, Facebook is where old people like me still are. And we can debate um, you politically on Facebook. <laughs> Facebook.com/slash/stuff.ts. Okay. It turns out. You can't write stuff that sucks on Facebook. <laughs> Is that I right? I tried many different names and it didn't work and I dropped the word sucks and suddenly I could get a group name. What? So clearly they thought I was trying to promote some kind of porn site or something. Yes. But um, <laughs> stuff but you that can sucks. Also find it. <laughs> if you want to find my porn site, that's somewhere <laughs> <Yeah>. different. Uh, <laughs> I'll link it in the show notes. <laughs> ben does not have a porn site. Um, for clarification. <laughs> <laughs> so come to facebook.com stuff.ts or facebook.com stuff that's loud um, to find out what I'm up to, to see some of the resources I'm enjoying sharing and um, check out the books. Cool. And I'm sure we can find these on like the book depository as well. All those, bo- all those things are available from all the overseas people as well, particularly this year. I encourage people to support local and yes. shop local. But Unity books. Big Unity fan of books. books. Unity books definitely has copies of Excellent. both those books. Cool. Uh, I will link it in the show notes. Awesome. Mate, thank you very much. Cheers. That was awesome. Bye. Cool. That was great.